0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 50 of the Stomp the Bus show. I'm your host, Mark Harris, coming at you solo this time since Colton is busy today. And the quarterback competition in Tempe got very interesting since our last episode. Uh, As many of you know, Drew Pine suffered a slight hamstring injury at Camp Tonazona, but because of that, that kept him out of some of the skirmishes up there with the first and second team opening the door for one Jaden Rashada to fill in. Now, if Rashada had, you know, looked like what a true freshman quarterback usually looks like in that scenario, Drew Pine and Trenton Borgay would be still in the mix to battle out for the starting quarterback position. But He looked good. And he's apparently, according to reports, he's looked good this past week. And now it seems more and more likely that Jaden Rashada will start week one against Southern Utah in 13 days on August 31st at Mountain America stadium. Um, And of course it's no guarantee that Rashada ends up starting. Um, you know, it feels kind of 50-50 between Borgay and Rashada right now, but the fact that we're even at the point of it being 50-50 between Borgay, who had been the starter in spring ball, entered fall camp, uh, you know, getting a lot of reps with the ones, started game last, games last year, obviously, with ASU. The fact that Borgay is now kind of like tied with Rashada – that really speaks to how much Rashada has grown as a quarterback in the past few months. Um, You know, entering fall camp, he was deemed as the third string guy and there was no real pushback against that either. You know, unlike when Jaden Daniels came to Tempe, Jaden Daniels came to Tempe right after Manny Wilkins left. There was no real like, um, it wasn't a quarterback competition where someone had experienced the year before. And so Jaden Daniels just, it was kind of an easy fit for him to be the starting quarterback with Rashada. It's totally different because for one, he wasn't even expected to go to ASU for a long time. He, he obviously, you know, the Florida NIL thing happens. He doesn't get his money. And so guess what? He goes to ASU and it was kind of just like an added bonus for ASU fans. It's like, Oh, this is awesome. We got this Rashada guy and he'll be, you know, hopefully good in the future. And, you know, maybe he can play a little bit this year, but uh, it's great to have him. And another benefit of him coming here is like, if he can just kind of be the backup and slide into a more comfortable college existence, than maybe he would have had at Florida. Uh, maybe that could be good for him. Just kind of start off slow, get used to college and all this. And now he may start week one because he's just improved so quickly. You know, that's kind of the thing that sticks out to me is just how quickly it was. Oh, you know, he's kind of the third string guy. He has potential. He has a great arm, obviously highly recruited too. here we are in, you know, August 17th when I'm recording this um, and he is Taking first team snaps with, uh, you know, first team players at practice. He played really well in the Camp Tonazona scrimmages, and he's really getting a little bit more attention from the media. And that part, I'll touch on that a little later. But it just shows how quickly he's improved. And you know, at the spring game, one of the things that stood out really was a a singular play by Rashada where they're at about the 50-yard line. And it's a deep play to Conyers, but Conyers has like two or three guys on him. And Rashada still hucks it up there to the end zone, gets intercepted. Kind of a perfect illustration of, wow, this guy's talented. He has the arm strength. He can do all this. But there's still learning curves. They're still adjusting to college defenders. There's still you know, learning all the pre-snap checks and finding the right man in the progression and all this stuff that goes beyond just how far can you throw the football and, or, you know, how quick can you release the ball and all this. So that kind of set everyone's expectations of, yeah, Rashada, like great that we have them. It's awesome. But, you know, it'll be Pine or Borgay who ends up starting. Well, as I said, Pine gets injured, Borgay, you know, Borgay really continues to just, you know, plug along in at, with uh, the first and second team. So Borgay hasn't really done anything to set him apart in a good way or in a bad way. He's just kind of been Trent and at practice. So I think that's important to mention because with Borgay, again, you know what you're going to get. He's a smart quarterback. He's going to make the right read. He has experience. He's a leader, all this stuff but then rashada you know the fact the fact that he can just make plays that Bourguet bourgay and pine can't make it's always going to be a separating factor with him and it's just the amount of just coverage from practice that's been positive of what he's done recently it just shows how maybe he's smoothed over a lot of his old weaknesses, you know, Dillingham is mentioned how he has really studied a lot. And he's kind of been in the film, watching a lot of film and he, you know, he can make NFL throws obviously. So that's a great plus. And apparently he's done a really good job, like with checks at the line of scrimmage and all these, you know, all these other quarterbacking things that don't get as much attention, but really set people apart he's improved very much in those areas. And so when you pair that with the great arm strength and playmaking ability, it's like, oh, maybe we should start Rashada. And that's how he's gotten to this point. And, you know, one thing that I think is interesting is there's, there there are definitely more stories about, hey, you know, Rashada is really moving up the depth chart. Well, moving up the depth chart isn't the right phrase, but, He's really playing well at practice and there's just more and more media coverage just in the past week or so of how, of how well he's done. And the fact that he's even gotten to that point, the fact that we are here in mid August and it's like, Oh, Rashada could very well be the starter and it wouldn't be a surprise anymore. That just shows you obviously how much he's improved, but that shows you his just level of skill is like there, you know, it's, he is, you know, on par with Trenton Bourget, who I would say most Sun Devil fans would have been comfortable starting in Week One. I can't speak for everyone, but I would say most Sun Devil fans, after what they saw last year from Bourget, would be totally comfortable starting him Week One. And so you kind of know what the talent level of, or the skill level of Bourget is, and how he's a competent quarterback, and to you know reportedly to see that Rashada is kind of matching his performance and also has all this potential and is more athletic and has a better arm and all this. And it's like, well, maybe we should start Rashada. Maybe he should be the guy. And I know Dillingham, uh, he said he was going to officially name the starter on the Thursday before the game. So it would be next Thursday. So the next time Colton and I record, we'll know the starter most likely. And that, you know, it's looking more and more likely that it'll be Rashada. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that he's gotten to this point. And the fact that he's gotten to this point makes me think that he is going to get the job, you know, again, he went into camp as the third string guy. He came, I believe he enrolled like right before spring practice. So very little, um, ramping up into it. He, he, I mentioned, you know, he showed some warts in the spring game and all this. And if he starts, he's going to make mistakes this year. You know, I don't think if if Dillingham, like for some reason, just really, really, really wanted to win the Oklahoma State game above all else. I don't think Rashada would be in the mix right now. Like, I think if you start Rashada, you have to be kind of comfortable, comfortable accepting that he might not be good against Michigan State or not Michigan State uh Oklahoma State in week two just because it's a higher level of competition and it'll be a second game and all this but he may be really good later on in the season and that's more important and that's when you know obviously you want him to be playing well as you head into the big 12 next year as well so again that's kind of the thing that has stood out to me like the fact that he's gotten this far the fact that he has proven to the coaching staff, at least somewhat, that he has adjusted or learned from his previous quarterbacking mistakes, previous weaknesses of not identifying the blitz or missing the read or all these nitty-gritty quarterback things that don't show up to the the common eye. And it's interesting. It's interesting that he's at this point, and it it honestly makes me a lot more excited – for this season. Um, And, you know, it's not just local ASU people that are talking about it. I have an article pulled up here from Matt Zenitz of On3 titled Pac-12 Intel, Why Jaden Rashada Has Become Legit Possibility to Win Arizona State's Starting QB Job. Uh, And he goes into into it. uh, But there's some interesting quotes here from an anonymous source, of course. Quote, he has an NFL arm. He can throw the ball 60 yards with the flick of the wrist and has completed several passes over 55 yards where he's hitting the receivers on the money in stride. This kid has unreal talent. So when you got the the phrase unreal talent getting thrown around with Jaden Rashada, it's like, it's just tantalizing. You're like, okay, like, I just want to see him play, you know? And again, if, if, Someone is leaking it to Matt Zenitz of on three that he has emerged as a legitimate possibility to be named the starting quarterback entering his true freshman season at Arizona state sources tell on three, the fact that someone's leaking that to Matt Zenitz, again, he's like their national writer for on three. I think that might be a clue. I think that might be kind of, preparing the asu fan base for hey like if we're, rashad is on track to start now like he it feels like he has caught up to trenton borgay and now that he's caught up if he just continues you know improving at the same pace then he'll be better than borgay possibly by the time you know kickoff is in two weeks and it's exciting to me as an asu fan you know it's it's weird entering camp i wouldn't have I would not have thought that Rashada would have gotten to this point. And he needed a little bit of, uh, I don't want to call it luck because it involved Drew Pine getting injured, but there was some luck to it. Like Drew Pine getting injured opened the door for Rashada to get more reps with the ones and twos, and he is taking advantage of it. He really is. So it's it is encouraging. That's what I can say. And with, and look, with Dillingham, I don't think Dillingham would just give him the job. Like Dillingham is going to make him earn the position of being the starting quarterback. And I think the fact that he's even in the mix shows that that's Dillingham's mindset. You know, a lot of coaches would have just, maybe they'd, you know, say like, Oh yeah, he's in the mix, but it was never actually going to be him and it was always going to be the veteran guy. But with Dillingham, I trust his quarterback, evaluation, um, just his overall coaching in general, that he's not just going to, you know, if Drew Pine or Borgay were clearly the number one guy, then I would expect them to start. And again, the fact that Rashada is getting so much buzz, especially this past week, that shows me that he is emerging as there's a very real chance he could be the clear number one guy. And it wouldn't just be, Giving him the starting job so he can stick around, you know. Um, and at this point, I want Rashad to start. I really do, because there's no like, what does starting Trenton Bourget really get you in terms of like the wins and loss column? Um, I listened to it was the Athletic podcast last year, and Ari Wasserman on the show. It was about around this time last year, he was saying oh, Penn State should start uh, Drew Alar. They're really talented freshmen over Sean Clifford. And even if you lose more games this season, it'll be worth it because Drew Alar has more experience down the road. I disagreed with that. And I think I was proven right because Penn State went 10-2 and and then won the Rose Bowl over Utah with Sean Clifford starting at quarterback. And now Sean Clifford got drafted by the Packers. And so, sure, they could have gone with Drew Larr last year, but they likely would have lost one or two more games due to freshman inexperience, and they wouldn't have had as good of a season. And then you lose the opportunity of what you had last year. This is not that scenario. And my point with this is, Bourget is not so much better than Rashada that it makes sense to be like, oh, yeah, Rashada may have a better future, but we're going to win more games this year if we start Borgay. I don't think that's the case. I think this ASU team just feels like a six and six team to me. And I feel like it could go six and six with Rashada or go six and six with Borgay. Now, maybe that looks different. Maybe you win different games with Borgay as opposed to Rashada. But if it all you know comes out of the wash of six and six either way, then you go with the younger guy because he can use this year, you know, to grow as a college quarterback and then have that year under his belt next year and the year after that. So I think that's the biggest thing. It's that <clears throat> with all this Rashada news, it's, he's clearly growing. And it's also showing that like Reggae is who he is. He is, you know, he's a solid, competent power five starter, but Rashada has this potential and he's starting to realize it as fall camp has gone on. And it's starting more and more to look like he'll be the starter in week one. And I think the big, again, I'm going to repeat this, but it's not even because I haven't been at practice or anything. And to me, it's just the, it's one, just all the, you know, local reporters saying, Hey, Rashad is doing really well. He's kind of even things up. And two, I mean, again, when you're leaking to a, you know, huge college football national site, like on three, And the second paragraph has there's legit possibility he'll be named the starter Uh, week one sources tell on three. Like I feel like that's kind of preparing people like putting the wheels in motion of, Hey, Rashada might start. So looking good, looking good on that front. And you know, now that I've kind of recalibrated what the quarterback expectations are going to be and like what, what we're expecting to see. And I'm just excited to see the plays that he can make on the field. And it's obvious with Rashada, there's there's just more of a downfield presence to his game than either of the other two guys. Well, and while the other two guys may make the right read more often, or may make the right check at the line of scrimmage more often, they may not be able to hit the 50 yard bomb as often. And so Rashada may make up for those, Uh, deficiencies by you know pulling off some big plays and games and you know if it's more on the scoreboard then that's what matters so I think now that I'm just kind of talking this out it just feels like there's just so much momentum behind Rashada actually starting week one and boy that would be if that did happen you know obviously the game against Southern Utah wouldn't be a huge draw because it's on the Pac-12 network and it's an FCS team but Rashad is starting would draw more attention to Arizona state. It would just because of his recruitment. So many people around the country know who he is in relation to the Florida NIL thing, but to actually like to see him ball out or potentially struggle at Arizona state, that would, that would be a story. That would be a story this year. So from that perspective, that's interesting too. But, you know, from the fan perspective, it's like this guy has talent. He can make all the throws he's described, you know, having, what was it? Unreal, unreal talent. Oh, don't. Yeah. Described as having unreal talent quote, the play. And then this is a different quote, quote, the plays he can make with the ball down the field and how he can move the pocket is what's most impressive. A source said to on three. So again, like clearly he's just really talented and um, he's smoothed over some of the edges. His game, and that's it's impressive. And you know, just kind of reading the tea leaves, it feels like he's going to end up starting. And I, at this point, I want him to start, so we'll see where that goes. But it's definitely an interesting storyline with the season so close. And I mean, this whole quarterback competition, this whole time, it was oh, it's Pine versus Borgay, Pine versus Borgay, and Rashad is kind of sneaking in through the back door. So Taylor Kelly did uh, about 10 years ago too. So and that's a good, if he has a Taylor Kelly-esque career, that would be pretty awesome. So we'll see where this goes with Rashada, but he's definitely giving himself a chance. Well, sticking with ASU, um, this was on Wednesday. Michael Crow good old Michael Crow. He went on uh, the Mike Broomhead show on KTHR and I'm not going to get into all the quotes, but basically he said, Oh, it was a great deal from Apple. Um, He has a quote. Most of the fan base didn't think it was a great deal, but I don't think they knew that much about it, which good old Crow. No, we did know about it. That's the problem. Um, And you know, he, he's basically like blown away about like a streaming company. That's what it sounds like. And it's, it's, I guess my thing is just with this, with Michael Crow is I hope you've got it all out of your system. Okay. We get that you like the Apple deal. You weren't the only one who liked the Apple deal, but it's over. Like the conference, like Oregon and Washington didn't accept it. And obviously you're in the big 12 now and just it's done. Like, I know that this is like damage control. Like you're trying to say like, Oh, like, this is why I did it. This is why I wasn't had these opinions on this and all this, but like, ultimately you just have to move on. Like you are lucky, like as ASU, we are just so lucky that we're in a huge market because we would be in Wazoo's position right now with Michael Crow. Like if we were, eh, I don't know what the analogy would be, but if we were just in a smaller town and had the exact same type of success year over year, we would not be in the position to go to the big 12. So obviously maybe ASU's football history is different if they're in a different town than Phoenix or Tempe rather. But my point is like, despite Michael Crow's best efforts, we're in the big 12. And the only reason we're in the big 12 is because of our market. It feels like, and because of the connection with Arizona. So just end the previous conversation about the Apple deal, Michael Crow. That's all I can say. Like I'm kind of, I'm not like as stressed out about his statements as much because we've secured it. Like we're going to the league, we're going to the big 12 and we're getting the full share. So it's fine. Like, Ultimately, all of this is just like background noise, but you have to work with these new presidents in the big 12. You have to work with Brett Yormark. You have to function in a new league and you can't just keep talking about your ex-girlfriend the whole time. So get out of your system. We know that you like the deal. We know that you didn't think the deal was as bad as other people did, but what happened happened, you know, Oregon and Washington left. And so this whole conversation is a moot point and let's just move on. I'm just sick of talking about it. Um, although one funny consequence of this is just kind of how ASU was like emerged as a villain in the big 12. And to me, it's like how many college rivalries are built on the foundation of one school having like an annoying school president? You know, that just doesn't really, doesn't really hold up too much to me in terms of like rivalry passion or like, oh, you you hate ASU because of their school president said annoying things about the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 media deal. I don't know. I like to me, like, I don't even know who half the big 12 school presidents are. And I don't really care. That's the other thing. Like, I don't care about who the school president is at Cincinnati or Oklahoma State. I do not care at all. And now that now that this is all over, like now that the dust has settled from Big 12 Pac-12 realignment, like ASU's in the conference. Brett Yarmark said it was quote a dream scenario to get Arizona State or get the four schools, which includes Arizona state. And so I just don't understand. I just don't get why, like, Oh, now I hate the whole school because of their school president. Like, I, I don't know. That's, that just, to me, that's not how college football rivalries actually develop. They develop over time. Um, And, you know, I get it more from the Ray Anderson because he singled out Morgantown in his comment. But even then, like, is that going to be like a huge deal whenever ASU plays West Virginia in the big 12? Maybe it will be, I don't know. But like you look at how the big 12 schedule is going to work out. Like ASU may play West Virginia, like once every, what, once every three years. It's hard to really develop a rivalry when you're playing a team once every three years, you know, the Seahawks, the Seahawks play the Buccaneers once every three years. Or the Seahawks and Buccaneers, huge rivalries. No, like, I don't know. I, I just, maybe people will hate us for other reasons. Maybe Michael Crow will continue to just say tone-deaf things about ath- athletics, but I still find it hard to believe that, like, if you're just a run-of-the-mill Kansas State fan, all of a sudden you're going to start disliking arizona state more than kansas and iowa state like no so arizona state's rivals in the big 12 are probably just going to be the same ones they have right now it's just gonna be arizona utah and then i guess you throw byu in there as well since there's some of the lds in the valley and it's a regional state um but i i just like Get it like Michael Crow says stupid stuff about athletics. Like, I am so aware. Every ASU fan is extremely and frustratingly aware that Michael Crow does not know about big time college athletics. Like, we are very, very aware. And you know, if you want to hate ASU for some other reason, fine, like, that makes perfect sense. But to be like, oh, their school president said some weird things at times. I hate that school now. I don't know. Like, I didn't know that college rivalries were about who you liked or disliked in the school president's office or the board of regents. I mean, give me a break. So I don't know. That's just kind of my thought on it. Uh, I know that he says annoying things, but that's all it is. Like, and ultimately, like, like, again, if he keeps, you know, not funding basketball and all this, like all these things that he does to kind of get in the way of huge sports success, or at least not, um, I don't know, just kind of hinders huge sports success. Maybe getting the way is the wrong phrase, but then you should be happy that he's here because it would make a, a lesser competition team in the Big 12. So that's another way to look at it, too. But it's just I've seen people like, oh, I think I think we're going to re- regret adding ASU because of Michael Crow. And it's like, for one, the guy is like in his like, I think he's 67 seven. Two, he is not going to have the same level of power in the Big 12 that he had in the Pac-12. I think it's very important to remember that there's no way the Big 12 presidents who've been there and you know, held down the conference two years ago, there's no way they're gonna be like, oh yeah, Michael Crow, you're gonna take the lead on this. You just joined. You literally waited till the 11th hour to join. And you, you're talking about the Pac-12 about it all the time. Sure, we're gonna give you all this leadership, all these responsibilities. No, like that's not how it's gonna work. So that's partially probably why Michael Crow is talking right now, but ultimately like, you can talk about the Pac-12 all you want, it doesn't matter. And then on the flip side of it, like, I just don't understand hating a school because of their school president, you know, unless that person like has done actual bad things. Um, And even then, like, it's still, it's still just the school president. So like, would you hate a country specifically because of their leader? Like maybe some countries. Yeah. But for a lot of countries, like. I don't know. Like, would you not go to Canada because you hate Justin Trudeau? If you like, if you got a chance to go to Montreal for the weekend, are you not going to go because you hate Justin Trudeau? Like, I don't think that's how most people operate. So, and maybe that's a bad analogy to make for college sports fandom, but like, I don't know. I mean, and this could just be like a Twitter thing too. So I don't know. All right. Well um, off of that tangent, Interesting article from the Los Angeles Times dropped uh, earlier this week on Wednesday by Brady McCullough. And it's Inside the Pac-12 Collapse, Four Surprising Moments That Crushed the Conference. I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, I don't know how surprising some of these were, but it does really show you like, just some really dumb moments and one of them was, you know, in in October of last year, Pac-12, look, George Kalevkoff, basically got the deal that the Big 12 has now for the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 presidents rejected it. And I'm re- gonna read from the article, quote, when the Pac-12 CEO group met to discuss the offer, one of the league presidents had other ideas. The president worked with a professor on his campus to come up with their own estimate of what the 10 schools could get based on their market value, quote, $50 million. And ESPN, as we all know, did not like the offer of $50 million per school. And here we are. So the reason I single that quote out is, one, it just shows you, like, it wasn't just, like, an inevitability that the PAC 12 was going to blow up because again, if you had conference presidents who knew the value of their schools better, then they PAC 12 would still be together. But I bring it up because it's the president worked with the professor on his campus to come up with their own estimate of what the 10 schools could get based on their market value, $50 million. A lot of people think that was Michael Crow, who was the president. Um, who was the president that helped come up with the $50 million valuation per school. It's really a lot of the speculation out there is between him and Kirk Schultz at Wazoo. So if it was Kirk Schultz. Oh boy. That was a very costly mistake. If it was Michael Crow, it just kind of ties back into my previous point. Like, thank God we have the Phoenix media market. Like, Cause this guy, like if it was him, that's just so dumb to think that you can get $50 Like it's preposterous without LA schools to think that you get $50 million per school for a league that look, I love the PAC 12, but you can't like, there are some schools that just have like very small fan bases, Stanford, Cal, UCLA, relative to its size, relative to its size, key phrase there. I would even throw ASU in there and U of A football. Um, It's, you know, it's not super diehard. It's just not. And then Colorado has, I don't know if their fan base is bad, but when you've been so bad for so long, it's going to have an effect on the fan base. So you throw them in there and it's like, it's not exactly like you're getting the SEC where basically every school is super passionate about it, you know, Um, or the big 12 even. But that's just, if that was Michael Crow, I mean, Again, he should be thanking his lucky stars that ASU is in, to, you know, has the Phoenix media market. And is, and honestly, it's right by an airport as well, because uh, that stuff does kind of matter. So there's that. And then another interesting part in the article, and this was kind of this has been reported before. But look, the Pac-12, when everyone says, oh, the Pac-12 didn't, they, they had the opportunity to take the big school, 12 schools and they didn't do it because they were arrogant. That's kind of true because it in the article it says the pac-12 wanted to add some of the big 12 schools but carol full she turned it down and carol Fult is the president at usc obviously leaves the conference a year later um quote about three slides in full t- told the group that she did not understand why the pac-12 would expand and expressed surprise they were even talking about it So two years ago it was USC. USC is really the one who killed the conference and they killed the conference before they even left because by saying, Oh, we're not going to get Texas schools. We're not going to get TCU in Houston, maybe Oklahoma state, whatever it may be. When the PAC 12 wanted to do that. And then they leave a year later, you know, and you can say, Oh, PAC 12 should have known that they were going to leave. And, they shouldn't have listened to her at the time, but you can't piss off USC if you're the PAC 12 in that situation, even if, even if they do end up leaving. So to me, like if you're someone still upset about the death of the PAC 12 cough, Michael Crow cough, cough, uh, direct your ire towards Carol Folt at USC, you know, that's because even if they like, if the PAC 12 had expanded, let's just say they took TCU in Houston, um, if they'd expanded and then, Oh, USC and UCLA would still leave the year after it would still be bad. The league, like it would still be, you know, kind of where the ACC is right now, but they would have gotten a media deal done. They would like, something would have gotten figured out and they would have had those extra teams just has insurance basically. So, but they didn't and we are where we are and, you know, maybe it'll work out for everyone anyway. Maybe there'll be a huge super league that, Ties this all back together, but I I just thought it was interesting to go to that article. Uh, I recommend everyone read it. It's LA Times, uh, No Subscription Required by Brady McCullough. Um, Very simply laid out. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's tough because it's, this was avoidable. You know, it may not have been avoidable in the long term because the conference was always at the whim of the Big Ten deciding to invite Oregon and Washington. And with how long it took them, you know, to negotiate uh, their deal with Apple. um, or Just how long, how long the whole process took. It opened the door for the Big Ten to get back in. But if they had added the two Texas schools they could have at least survived as a league up until the next round of TV negotiations in the early 2030s. So it is, it sucks. Like if you're an Oregon state fan, Cal Stanford fan, Wazoo fan, like it's a tough thing to read. And, you know, especially for Wazoo, there was a point that Washington kind of was the team. They were the one that led Oregon and Washington out. but to me, like if you're, again, if you're a Pac-12 fan, I recommend it, but just in my view, like USC is the ultimate villain, um, specifically Carol fold So that is the end of this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. You know, I hope it should be, you know, just this season with ASU is going to be so interesting. There's just so many new players, obviously mentioned Rashada, um, just going to be a lot to talk about. And thanks, you. Thanks for watching. If you're a big 12 fan, thank you for watching. Um, Please like and subscribe, rate and review, and as always, go Devils!